never done uh, like a series through like Advent, you know, and I was thinking it'd be really cool to join in with the churches across the world as, as we look to the, to the Messiah, right? The word Advent means arrival, right? And it's the arrival of an, if you look at the definition and dictionary of an important person. And obviously it's the arrival of Jesus. Uh, and, it, and it was long looked for throughout the Old Testament. And now we've seen he's come and we're looking forward to when he's coming again. Okay. And so uh, it's with that, I've titled this message, Keeping Hope, Embracing the Tension. Uh, the first week of Advent is all about hope. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Each person here and those online, we pray that you would speak to us by, uh, by your word or through your spirit, you know, and through your, by your spirit, through your word, you'd be, um, Lord, that we would have this hope that's like the real hope, like the right kind of hope, Lord, that we would have our expectations in you and we would trust that you, you are so faithful to keep your promises. So we thank you, God, and we praise you. And, and uh, we lift up this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, yeah, today we're going to be looking again at hope. It's the hope of the past, the present, and the future, right? So we'll be looking back to the past. Uh, and we get a lot of really good glimpses of, of people looking for the hope of the Messiah. Isaiah has these, you know, suffering servant and these uh, different passages that, that are looking to the Messiah, very clearly uh, messianic texts, right? And promises and hopes. The Psalms are full of them, right? Looking for the hope of the Messiah. Um, and, and really, it's not just the hope of the Messiah, but the finished work that the Messiah will do, the provision of the Messiah, what Jesus would, would accomplish. It's been looked for for the beginning, since the beginning, uh, they've been looking at that. And there's two words in Hebrew that represent or uh, that would speak to hope, uh, or especially when, when we find it in the text. The first one is yahal, and that is, uh, basically means waiting. You know, it's this hope where you're waiting for something to come. You're just waiting. And, and what's cool is even with the commercialization of Christmas, uh, what it's become, uh, there is still that great expectation and hope, right? There's something about, you know, just, it's coming, you know? When I was a kid, we had this little thing, and everybody has their own little Christmas thing. Uh, it was like this little bear that would move from room to room, and all of a sudden, he'd eventually end up in the right room. But it was every day had, like, this little thing, and it was basically an advent calendar, uh, you know, for us, for little kids. And you'd be like, oh, he's getting closer, He's making his way to finally make his way into the actual Christmas room and, and getting there. So there's that, this expectation of waiting. It's, it's coming, right? And, and, and you see it, man. There's such an urgent expectation of waiting in the Old Testament. Uh, the second word is kava. Uh, and that is like a feeling of tension and expectation. It's like this tension, like it's getting stretched. Ah, it's coming. It's got to be coming. We see this uh, often in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament, speaking of the second coming of Christ. There's like this tension. We, we just saw it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right? Or, or there's, well, actually throughout all of 1 Thessalonians, where there's just like this, this urgent expectation. Like Jesus is coming soon, you know? Uh, it's just like it, it could happen any minute. 
That's like that urgency, waiting. Remember as a kid, uh, for Christmas to finally come, you know, Christmas Eve and maybe you had the tradition. How many of you guys had like a one present on Christmas Eve deal? Anybody have that yet? Some, you get one present, you hope you pick wisely, you know, for your one present. When I'm opening my presents, I'm always like, is this a good one to open? Like, can you tell me, tell me am I opening socks? Or is this the one, you know, something I can play with tonight? Um, but they would have that expectation that was building, and then all of a sudden, Christmas morning, the kids don't sleep in on Christmas morning, right? Try to get them up for school, no chance. Christmas morning, as soon as it's light, they're running downstairs ready to go, you know? Um, so this urgent expectation, this feeling of tension, uh, and we see that Psalm 130 says, uh, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So there's this expectation and hope that not only is, is, is God himself coming, it's, uh, it's he's going to come and make things right. He's going to come in mercy. He's going to come bringing redemption and he's going to solve iniquity sins. He's going to heal his people. He's going to offer up an, uh, this, this, you know, hope, the hope of restoration, the hope of the return to the garden, the hope of the end of sacrifices covering sins, right? And so uh, they're looking at that, and they're looking at, by trusting his promises, you know, it's in your word. You guys might recognize this song, um, especially if you were a Christian in the early 2000s, I guess, mid, I don't know, uh, probably 2005 or four, I don't know. But do you remember that I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his word, I put my trust. You guys know Scott Cunningham wrote that. Then Jeremy Camp made it famous, which was really beneficial for Scott too, because, uh, you know, rights. But uh, it, was a, it was a song that, you know, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it at that time. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his word, I put my trust. You know, anyway. Uh, the idea is like, there, I, I'm hoping and I'm believing in the promises of God. Like that he is going to do what he said he's going to do. I'm putting my hope in your word. I believe that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And it's important to understand, because like, sometimes we think about hope and we think, oh, just these optimistic kind of people, you know, they're just super optimistic about everything. Hope is not just being an optimist. Hope is based in reality, found in this promises of scriptures, fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That is the hope that we're looking for. It's not just like a hope of, oh, everything's going to be fine. Oh, it's all going to work out. Oh, this, this and that. No, hope is what God said he did is going to do. He is going to do. We have, and we have such an awesome, being on this side, being on uh, AD side of history, we have such an amazing benefit of being able to look back and say, all of that stuff was fulfilled in the coming of Christ. God kept his promise. He's, the hope was in the, the promise of the Messiah, and he really did come. So it's with that in mind that it, it encourages our hope for the future. 
And it's important to understand, we've got to choose hope even when it doesn't make any sense. You kind of get this, this view from the, the prophets. Most of the prophets were written in horrendous times of history. I mean, just like rotten, you know? And they had terrible things to say, you know, because they're like, judgment's coming, all this and that. But there was still the hope in the coming of the Messiah, the hope that this wasn't the end, even if it meant that there was going to be punishment for the, where they were at. Hey, look. Israel, you know, listen, Isaiah especially, right? Look, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. You guys have blown it. But at the end of the season of judgment, at the end of the season of exile, there will be new growth. There'll be new life. And there's the promise of the Messiah. And so our hope is founded on the person of Jesus through the word of God, right? And that's really, really important. Because where we mess up is when our hope is in the wrong stuff, right? So it's in Christ that we see God's fulfillment to the promise hoped for. It's in Christ that we see that. And it's in Christ that we look to the future, right? And so there's this tension even now we're living in. And you're like, man, it feels like it could be any day, doesn't it? And it's, it's like, it's funny even like you listen to a message from like five years ago and they're like, oh, man. It is so it's just like it's happening right now. The the world has never been crazier. And you're like, if only you could see five years in the future. Right? But there's this expectation and hope. And it's been like that throughout. And we see it with the apostles. They really thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Right? And they were preparing for that. The tension, right? And, and that tension should be there. Because it means that our, that is our hope. If there's no tension, then we've probably found hope somewhere else. That's super dangerous, right? Because if we find hope somewhere else, it's actually like, it's not good at all. Matter of fact, uh, yeah. First Thessalonians tells us too to comfort one another with the hope of the second coming of Christ. We're reminded of that. Comfort one another with this hope. You know, live in that tension, but comfort one another in it. Uh, I think a lot of our problems that go unrealized, and it's for myself specifically, is not that we don't have hope, it's that we just place our hope in idols instead of the living God. That's the whole golden calf thing. Where is he? I don't know where he is. Let's make this idol into something that, you know, will be something we can look at, right? There's lots of idols we face. You know, we're really good at making idols. Uh, but uh, I ran across this. I thought it was really interesting. Um, it was by, uh, a lot of people believe in this. It's like the idea of like source idols, like the root idols, core I- idolatry. Uh, and, and tell me that one of these doesn't belong to you. I mean, this is going to be painful for a second. It was painful for me too. Uh, but it's like the roots to the tree. Uh, and we so often want to deal with the actual uh, branches of the, or the little bit of fruit of the idolatry. I want to deal with that. But the problem is the actual root of it. And so it's important to understand uh, that a lot of our idolatry is actually where we place our hope. It's where we, we put our stock. It's what keeps us going, which is uh, really, really dangerous. So there's four different kinds. We'll get to it. We'll have a chart in a minute here. But there's four different kinds of source idols. And again, Tim Keller made this kind of popular. But uh, it, it's Comfort, uh, the first one is comfort. Second one is approval. 
Third one is control. And the fourth one is power. And most of our idols are going to be based on one of these things. And there's, uh, this, this other guy made a chart that I thought was actually amazing. I actually don't have the name of it right now, but uh, of who did it. But credit to you, you know, Lord, give him credit anyway. Uh, but the idolatry chart, it looks a little bit like this, all right? If your idol is comfort, if your idol is comfort, uh, what, what easily, what, how you look, and you might look okay and doesn't seem like an idol, laid back, easygoing. This is, yeah, I'm easy, I'm easy going. I'm laid back, right? The price you'll pay, lack of productivity, right? Your worst nightmare is stress and demands. Don't put anything on me. I don't want to deal with any more because you just want to be comfortable. You want to hang out. Our whole world is built for comfort. It's kind of like the idea of the suburbs, right? It's the idea of drive-thrus. Now we don't even have to have drive-thrus. You have people bring it to your door. It's called DoorDash, right? There's nothing wrong with any of these things, but we do have to be aware of comfort. And I thought it was interesting. I was listening to a pastor speak about this, and he was saying how um, you can find out if, if your deal is comfort when you get so enraged if anyone messes up your comfort. Somebody came in and they said something to me. Ah, oh, they messed up my comfort. Ah, they're in my way. Ah, I'm just trying to get in the door. Anyway, so you look laid back and easygoing. That's, it looks so it's deceiving. You Price you pay, lack of productivity, worst nightmare, stress and demands. Biggest problem with living for comfort, your idol being comfort, boredom. Because we were meant to be adventurers. We were meant to live on the edge. Boredom. It's, it's, it's because you've set yourself up in comfort and peace. I don't want to have to do anything. Nothing that stretches me. Nothing that's hard. Nothing that's going to take too much out of me. You live in boredom. Others feel hurt and neglected because you, you preserve your time. You preserve your, all of your stuff. It's like you, you, you're not willing to give it out, so people feel hurt and neglected. That's a bummer. The gospel reality is we find peace in Christ. You don't understand that you find this peace in Christ until you actually are out on the line. You find out you, you don't have peace and comfort. Comfort doesn't bring peace. It actually, it actually does the opposite. Something about the more comfort you get, the worse off you are. So that's kind of how that works. The gospel reality, though, as God works it out in us and we're, we move away from the idol of, of comfort, we find peace in Christ. Approval, right? You can seem likable or friendly, but the price you pay, less independence because you're, you're married to uh, getting approval from from everyone you're around, you know? And so your worst re rejection, uh, nightmare is rejection. There are people, approval, people who are into approval are hard to read, right? Because it seems so genuine, but it's, it's, it's in a really weird spot. They are, are so needing your approval, right? The biggest problem, cowardice. You, you, you won't say what it really is, right? You won't tell the truth. Uh, others feel smothered because you're asking them for something that they can't give you. Right? That's the idea of approval. And then lastly, the reality, this is how the gospel speaks to someone in that spot. God's love. You are already accepted and approved by God. You don't need that. Right? So that, I know you guys are like, why are we going through a chart? Listen, it's, I think it's, I was rocked by it. Um, and I thought it was like, whoa, this is super good. Because these are the core issues, right? Control. Right? So maybe... Maybe you're lining up on this. And by the way, you don't have to be just one. You could be all of them. You're probably not, any of, you're probably not none of them, right? Um, 
control. You, you look like you're competent. Man, that guy, you know, guy or that girl, they really got it all together. The price you'll pay, loneliness and uh, spontaneity. It's because everything has to be controlled. It's exhausting to be controlling. You've got to control every little element of your life. A lot of times, control and comfort go together because you want to control everything so that you can live in your comfortable little bubble. Anyway, worst nightmare, uncertainty, the unknown. But do you know what? Life is really gnarly at bringing about the unknown. Life brings the uncertainty quickly and often. Biggest problem, emotion, is anxiety, right? Because you cannot control it all. As much as you try, you can't control it all. The world is full of variables and, and chaos, right? Others feel when they're around you, they feel condemned, judged, or offended because they're collateral damage as long as you can keep control. It's just about control. So again, if you're feeling bummed out, good. We all should feel this way about all of our things. God's blessings, right? That's the gospel reality. We are blessed by God. He is active and alive in our lives. He's working in the midst of it all. He's the one in control. God is sovereign. We make our own decisions still. It's not, you know, we're not going Calvinist. We're not going full army. It's like, a, it's a mix. Like God is, he's ruling, controlling the whole world. He's got it under control. And yet uh, he's letting us make our own decisions and still working through those decisions. So God's blessings, he wants to bless us, but he can't bless us if all we are is control freaks. There's no faith in control, right? It's not a faith, you can't have faith and be a control freak at the same time. The last one, power. Looks like confidence, looks good, right, on the outside. Uh, price will pay, burdened responsibility. Again, you're holding the whole world on your shoulders, you know, and that's exhausting. Worst nightmare is being humiliated, Look like you don't have it all together. Look like you, you can't, you're not capable. Uh, biggest problem, emotion, anger. Because when anything gets in your way, you rise up and you smash it. Because you're power, you know. How others feel, they feel used, manipulated, and handled. Because if the point is about you keeping your power, again, everybody else is collateral damage. It's, you see all of these, how others feel, it's all selfish, right? Because this is core idolatry issues. Uh, and then the last part is gospel reality uh, that it counterfeits righteousness. Our righteousness comes from God. That is where our standing is found. We're made right before him. It's not our power, it's his power. And he wants to manifest it and use it in our lives. But what's really interesting is as, as you go down this, you can see a lot of your issues come from this, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. I, do you guys want to know? What's your, do you want to say what yours is? No, I'm just kidding. I'll say, I know what mine is. It's comfort. <laughs> I, I, like, I don't like vari a bunch of variables. I like to keep it under control because um, it's, it's also part of like the way I think. It's like you've got to preserve. When everything starts getting out of control, you're like, ugh, you know? And so I, 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 I'm aware of how there can be like major issues on that. You know, like just don't like stressing out or like having it go over the top. So yeah, you can turn it off now, Chris. But um, if anybody's interested, I could, I could give you that, that slide um, personally. But the idea is that there's these source idols and, and what they try to do is help us. We put our hope in these things. Like if I put my hope in, in any of these things, it just leaves us wanting. It just doesn't give us what we're looking for, and it's, it's, it's no good, right? 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, 
Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. This is the real thing. It's not in, in, in things, right? Because you know, if you put your hope in things, if you put your hope in status, if you put your hope in, in trying to manifest your own peace, trying to manifest your own control, trying to manifest your own power, none of that works. It makes you extra crazy. So the more those idols that we were just looking at have a place in your life, the more crazy you get. Because the, the more that you invest in it, the more you find out you need to invest more and you find out you'll never get there and you become a monster. Some of them look less like a monster than others, but they all have major, major flaws to it. And, and, and everything kind of flows out of that. In turn, we're to have our hope not in optimism, not in like, you know, things or, or ideas, but in the person of Jesus, right? That's where our hope is. That was the messianic hope from the Old Testament. That's our current hope now, that we are now living in Christ. You know, we're made new in him. Our life is hidden in Christ now, and our future is Christ. So all of our hope lines up in past, the Messiah came, as a baby, you know, in a manger. He's, you know, rocked a little, and the cows are just dancing and singing, whatever. Present, that he's, he is in us now. Our righteousness is found in him now. We are caring about his kingdom. It's his spirit that's, that's moving in us. Future, looking to him for our future. So, again, uh, According to his abundant mercy, he's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, begotten us again, that's born again by the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We are born again through the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, this saves us from all that junk that, that we think we need, that we're prone to, you know? Because uh, we're not perfect. We're still, we're going we're gonna, to, we're all messed up. We all make mistakes, right? Uh, hope through resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved for, uh, in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be ready in the revealed time. So he's, we're born again in Christ through the resurrection from the dead, that he rose again from the dead. Many people died on the cross. Jesus rose again from the dead. So we're found, this is our hope. We're found that we're new in him. And now we have this new inheritance, right? That's incorruptible, that's undefiled. It's like where moth and rust don't destroy. You know, where thieves don't break in and steal. That's, we have these treasures in heaven, you know? And so that's really, really good news. But then he says this, here's the tension, in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, uh, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing uh, you rejoice in the joy inexpressible and full of glory, uh, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation 
of your souls. So in this, you greatly rejoice. Now we're dealing with trials. We're going through stuff. We're, we're in the midst of pain and struggle and suffering. And, and so that's a lot, in, in a way, it's a lot like the Old Testament, looking to Jesus. We're still looking to Jesus now. He's in us. He's moving with us. But in this world, you have troubles. I've overcome the world. And so we have that hope for the future, the inaugurated eschatology, that the kingdom has come, but it is really coming. Jesus has come to start it, uh, but there will be a day when it's all taken care of. But now, even more, do we want to invest in this? Because our, our faith, it's producing in some, uh, something more precious than gold. You're like, do you know the price of gold right now? I love that, the fact that that's, the, that's what you use. Gold is just, it's just the standard. It's amazing, Right? You watch, who watches, has watched Gold Rush? You ever watch Gold Rush? See how much money the gold is worth? You're like, this is worth $70,000. You're like, what? You know, if you pull this bottle out, it's worth like a million dollars. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, that's how much gold's worth? You see, all of a sudden, you're like heading up to the Yukon. I'm going to give it a shot, you know? Um, I found a you know, pan. Will this work? No, that's not really how it works. They gotta, never mind. I'm not going to tell you how it works. Let's just start sluicing, man. You know, um, if you've watched the show, then that was probably funny. Uh, but the, the idea is that this produces in us something so much greater than the most precious things we could imagine. It's, it's building in us and working something out in us, and it's built in that tension, right? The, the gold is refined by fire. You know, that's, that's how it goes that's how you get the purity. The other stuff burns off, so it's refined by fire. So, so we see this Old Testament picture of this tension. It's the tension that's found in the world that we live in. The kingdom has come, yes, but it's not fully here, right? There will be the full reign of when Jesus comes again, so we comfort one another with those things. And we deny the things that our, our bodies and our minds tell us we need to find hope in. If I only had this, if I could only do this, if I could only do that, if I only had to never deal with anyone ever again and just be comfortable and just chill out, hey, that's not what you were made for. You were made for a lot more than that. Boring, self-centered, self-purposed life. Nope. You're made for a lot more than that. People-pleasing, approval, you were made for a lot more than to be slave to someone's emotions that they might manipulate you with, that they might give you, they can't give you what you're looking for. You've already been found approved. You've already been found righteous. You've already been found like accepted as a child of God. Such good news. You don't need to control everything because God is in control and he's so much better at it than you. You're not good at it. And you know this. I can't control anything. I can't control my, God, you're just so much better than that. Now, it's funny, this week I was, this has been something that's been like racking my brain about. Just been like thinking through it on every, like, ah, oh, Lord, how's this going to work out? I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what we're going to do. I just don't know. And I was like, I told Tori later, I was just like, you aren't, you didn't even pray about this at all. Like, you're, you're having a bit of a conversation in yourself, but it's all you. You're like, you're trying to work the whole thing out. That's control, you know? So I guess I got some of that, I guess, too. I don't know. Probably all of them. 
So you go, oh man, what am I, what am I doing? And I remember just like in a, just like a legit moment, like, God, I don't know what to do with this. You're going to have to make a way. Within a couple days, he made a way. And he's like, man, did you just want to trust me? Because the cool thing is, if I can somehow manifest it or manipulate it to make it happen and control it, now I've got to maintain it. That's some of the worst. You're like, ah, cool, I got this thing. Now you've got to maintain it. Ugh. What, what does that mean, you know? Oh, you're going to have to do this, and this, that's the maintenance. The maintenance side of things is a bummer. The more stuff you have, the more you have to maintain, right? You're like, oh, I've got to change the oil on that, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I do that. Not doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but but as far as control goes, man, you do not want to be in charge of everything. It is exhausting, and it will not produce good things. Right? Control, power. Again, God is the one that has the power. We just want to be in Him, right? Let Him uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Let it be through humility that people see your strength. Right? So that they can look at you and not give you glory because that's not going to turn out well. But they'd be able to give glory to God because God is a real, he's so good at humbling us for our own good so that these idols will not continue. Remember the, the, the deal with Moses and the golden calf and he made him drink it? He ground it up and made him drink it. It's a good reminder. I don't want to do this anymore. I shall not make another idol. <laughs> so... Anyway, so this is where we need to find and place our trust is in Jesus. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25 says this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So starting right there. We have boldness now to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, right? The holiest is, it's, it's in the presence of God, right? The Holy of Holies. This was such a big deal. Once a year, high priest had to have everything right. And it, was, and it was so cool that they could even have this relationship where they could be in the presence of God. And it, but it was so many rules. And, and you know, I said it before, they'd have to have a rope tied around their leg so that if they died, because they didn't do something right, they had to be pulled out. But it was a way for God to have a relationship with mankind again. But now we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, we're now made righteous so we can come before him. Again, our hope is in Christ. This tells us who we are. We can now come before the throne of God. This is our hope. You can just come to him. You can have real relationship with him. This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we pray. God wants to speak to us and work with us, and he wants to blow our minds with his faithfulness. But we won't give him the opportunity if we're stuck somewhere in the fray of, our, of these idols. Because they're all self-serving and they're all self-sustaining. He says, come to me. I've made the way. And, I, and I, I'll do everything else. I got you. And if you need, if I want you to do, I'll give you the strength to do it. I'll give you the will to do it, the want to do it, the ability. I'll give you the gifts. You just got to follow me. So it was what? By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. He gave us a new and living way. He set apart a new life for us through the veil that is his flesh, right? Was the idea of the veil, 
was that's where you would go in, right, to the Holy of Holies. And we know the veil was torn in two, right, when Jesus died. And so through his flesh, we now bust through that veil because of his sacrifice for us. Really cool. And having a high priest over the house of God, remember the high priest before was the only one that could go in. Jesus now is our high priest, and he's the one that's letting us in like crazy, and he's the one that uh, sympathizes with us, and he's praying for us, and he's got us, right? Let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and the bodies washed with pure, and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the great news. That as we're made new in Christ, through, the, through his blood, through his flesh, be, become new creations. The great hope looked for throughout all the Old Testament, or, or realized in the Messiah, now living out in our life, we are literally made new. That our conscience has now been cleaned. Our minds have been cleaned. Our bodies have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Whoa, good news. Really good news. And that's something that we hear so much. We hear this, but it's like, you've got to believe this to be true or you will find yourself stuck on somewhere in the idolatry realm because you, you will be finding, trying to find this somewhere else if you don't find it here. If you don't find your identity in this place, if we don't sit here at the feet of Jesus just grateful for what he's done, we will look somewhere else to find worth. Jesus says this is where you find it. You find it in me. And so I take everything you were and I make it, and I make it right. So, so that's the question you go, man, yeah, right, I understand God, he, he's good at cleansing people, maybe not people like me. No, I mean, he, he gives us so many examples of like horrendous people that, that are like, cleanses. It's awesome, right? He doesn't, he could take the worst of the worst. I don't care what you've done. You can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I don't think there's anybody in here who's done really, really, really crazy stuff. You know, like, I mean, like David, no one's done what David's done, right? We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Right? Where you, you know, <laughs> rape, murder, st rape, steal, murder. Yeah, hopefully not, you know? But God is so faithful to meet us where we're at. And he's so faithful to cleanse us as we repent and follow him. We, we, we change our, our mindset. We change everything. We say, I'm going to follow you now because now I've been made new and you've given me the ability by a clean mind and a clean heart and a clean life to follow you. This is the great hope. So that, that helps us where we're at right now to know who you are, your identity. And I think that's a big issue. Everyone's trying to find identity. Like, who am I? What do I stand for? What am I about? And it's really confusing because there's a lot of well-meaning people that have been duped by a lot of really bad ideology because they're trying to seem like they care about stuff. They're looking for identity and you're not going to find it in any of that junk. Your identity will be found in Christ and you'll be way more, uh, you'll be a way more value to the world around you if you understand that. There's nothing that's, that looks good on the outside that's better than a believer following Jesus who submitted to him and says, my life is yours. So some of the greatest movements 
humanitarian aid, uh, um, all of that. It's, it was by down believers going out and charging it who did not fear their own lives. You know, like what was going to happen? So we trust God, we believe him, and we, and we say, I, you say I'm cleansed, I'm cleansed. And I repent, I want to change. Where there's wickedness in me, take it away. Reveal it and take it away. I want to follow you, I want to honor you with my life. So, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Wow, isn't that good news? Hold fast. Grab it tight. Just, just keep it close. The confession of our hope. Remembering, what is, the, what is our hope? It is in Jesus. Both now and for the future. So we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Right? The author is like, he's writing it as we go. Isn't that the idea? He's like, he brought it about. He's writing it. We're doing it together. The author and the finisher of our faith. So hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That's a good reminder. He who promised is faithful. You don't, you don't want, want to believe that? Look back. Has God been faithful to complete his promise? Look at the Messiah. I mean, that's just such a cool apologetic argument. Look at all the scriptures that were fulfilled about the birth of the Messiah, written thousands of years beforehand, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, right? So depending on where it was, mostly thousands or a thousand. It's amazing, right? The hope that's found in Jesus. So we... He's promised he's faithful. He's done, he's, he's already shown himself to be faithful so we can trust that he's faithful now. And that's what, man, Thanksgiving Eve was such a cool time here. It was a great time. You know, we had such a good time talking about like how faithful God's been, you know, and how eh, even going through hard things and seeing God do the miraculous, seeing him work and be faithful, even when it doesn't make any sense at all, even when things are just so crazy and hectic, watching God work, it's just like so much better than like just being in the game. Man, God, you really do answer prayer. There's, some, there's nothing more exciting than seeing God answer a prayer. Find me something more exciting than that. I, I don't know what it is. There's nothing more exciting than seeing God move and just do something. So It's just like, oh, I want to be more. I want to experience that more. Oh, but it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's not like a weird, I want to experience it more. It's not a lust, I want to experience it more. You know, that is like, like lust, it's like the, the more you taste, the, the, the less it like holds. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of even Thanksgiving, man. We get there. The first plate tastes better than the second plate. Second plate's still good, but it just doesn't taste the same, right? So as you hear this a lot, drug addictions, where you, where you know, like, it, you, a lot of people say that they end up chasing the, the first high. You never get the same thing, right? And then before you know it, you're stuck just trying to be normal. You try to get back to somehow normal because you, you're playing, it, it ends up being a deficit. Starting at negative, 
just to get back to know. And, and that's just, that is, the, that is sin. That is, that is the world, right? But as we see God move, we are so sustained, we're so fulfilled, and, and we're just like, I want to experience it more, but I also just want to soak this in. Oh, it's so good. It's what we're created for, to, to experience the promises of God, him being faithful in that. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as that you see the day approaching. Hold fast to the hope that we have, and let that change the way that we relate to one another. Right? As we're holding fast to that hope, believing in that hope, what are we going to do? What's going to be the response? We consider one another. You know? You notice something about all of those idols, source idols, as you would say? They're all selfish, all the way down on the way people feel around you. It's all about you. And, and to recognize we all have that ability to make stuff all about us. But the Bible says, as you grow in Christ and you receive the promises of God, consider one another. Man, and if, like again, we're all in this, we're growing, you know, Lord, help us. It's so easy for us to get swept up and mixed up and miss the point, you know? Expect things out of people we shouldn't or, or treat people the way you shouldn't. It's just so easy to do. But as we're experiencing this, as we're being cleansed and being made new and being born again and understanding God's faithfulness, we are to consider one another, to stir up love and good works, that we would be stirring it up with one another, that you'd be building it up. Ah, man, so good. So it's, it's, it's like, so good. it's so good how much we can do for each other to bring forth like joy, you know? Got to hang out yesterday. Uh, Tyler got to take my, so he's a, we've got a minor leaguer here in, <laughs> in our uh, church here the, for the Cleveland organization was the Indians, now the Guardians. But Cannon like loves that, right? So we got, ended up getting to go play yesterday and it was so cool. Tyler encouraged Cannon pitching and he's on cloud nine. He's just like, that's all he, he's just, he could tell, couldn't tell, he wanted to tell everyone about it. But he thought I had a good delivery. He thought my lower half was, he says, he thought he says it was better than his was last year. But I know that's not true. That's what he says. I know that's not true. But he just had this big smile on his face and he gave him a ball, a minor league ball. And it's like, man, it, it, it's just amazing what like a little bit of like love to someone can mean, right? Where you're stirring one another up, blessing one another, looking out for one another to go, ah, how can I encourage someone today? How can I be involved? What can I do today in a little bit? Again, if you start making it all about that, only about people, you can easily get into the approval thing where all I'm doing this, I'm doing this to get approval from you. That's no good, right? Because if it's the source isn't for the Lord, then it's not going to work. You can't please people enough. And by the way, people are going to treat you terribly sometimes for no reason. Or maybe for a reason, but they just don't, they don't act right. You'll never get what you're looking for in that sense. But the opposite side is not caring it's amazing. Stir up good works, right? Stir up love and good works, one another. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It's important that we assemble together. You know, I think quarantine, it, it opened up online church, um, but that's not the same as the real thing, you know? Sorry, online, we love you. Um, but it's just not the same, 
you know? And that was the thing we heard over and over again. Every time somebody would come back, I miss this. I really miss this. I miss being together. You know, our first outdoor service we had, it was like, this is, I needed this more than I knew. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting. That's encouraging one another and correcting whatever it needs to be one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Again, the eye is to look at the second coming of Christ. You see the day approaching. So we're, we're looking at what Jesus has done. We're looking at what he will do. And then we live this life in the gap, in the middle. Tension. Holding the tension, but keeping on mission. Following Jesus. Keeping hope, right? That was the, the, the message. Keeping hope, embracing the tension. Embrace it. Recognize it. God isn't here in the midst of it. He's working something out in you and he's gonna use you to be a blessing to those around you if we're, if we're faithful, if we're available. If we don't give in to the idols in our life that so want your attention and are so praised by the world. We're made for something different, something way better. Lord, thank you so much for your grace for us, that you love us. Lord, we thank you so much that you're, 